you know, this inflation has continued to dish up nasty surprises. And uh, it, it seems like we're going to, to keep getting them. So that's a, that's a picture of inflation in terms of core. You know, it hasn't really changed. It's, it's high. It has stayed high. Uh, it looks like it's going to stay high. And, and uh, you know, that's one of the surprises we now have to deal with. And, and you know, nobody knows where this is going. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. There's no shortage of opinions out there about where the economy is headed right now. You'll find equally vocal advocates for a hard landing versus a soft landing and a growing number of folks saying there will be no landing at all and that a new bull market lies ahead. When there are so many voices at odds with one another, it's useful to look closely at the data and take measure of what simply is. What are the economic conditions right now telling us? To do just that, we welcome Wolf Richter back to the program for a deep look at growth, interest rates, inflation, liquidity, employment, and many other key indicators. Wolf, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right. Always a pleasure, Wolf. Uh, you're coming on here uh, on short notice. I called you late yesterday. You were very uh, thankfully game to come do this. Thank you. Um, number of questions for you about the lineup of topics I just mentioned, but if we could, let's just start with the normal high-level question I'd like to ask you at the beginning of all our discussions. What's your current assessment of the global economy and financial markets? And so I'm going to distinguish between the economy and the financial markets. So the economy uh, is still floating on a, a huge sea of liquidity. And, uh, you know, so we've got global inflation, we've got global wage increases, we've got uh, consumer spending holding up pretty well. Um, you know, we've got some credit issues, uh, those kinds of things uh, in terms of the, so, so the economy really globally isn't landing. <laughs> the economy is just sort of muddling through and, and, uh, uh, and largely on consumer demand and, and, yeah, that's what we have right now. In terms of the financial markets, they have some really big issues, including high interest rates and uh, and quantitative tightening by uh, central banks. And and so for financial markets, this is not necessarily a, a good scenario. Okay. Um, all right. So we've got a sort of a muddle through economy and we've got financial markets that are facing a number of headwinds right now. Yeah. Um, you talked about sort of the strength of the consumer um, I want to I want to dig into that with you in a minute here, but but let's let's start with inflation. Um, it's something that you've been tracking closely. Um, you mentioned it in both your answers to the economy and the financial markets. My understanding is that you see that inflation is likely to be a lot more sticky than maybe most folks are currently expecting. Can you go into why? Yeah. So yeah, this inflation has continued to dish up nasty surprises and. Uh, it, it seems like we're going to, to keep getting them. And, uh, uh, you know, it's supposed to come down. We had uh, energy prices collapsed, so that pushed down the overall inflation rates. And food prices have started to come down a little bit. But in terms of core inflation, in terms of services, you know, that's two-thirds of consumer spending and uh, core goods, you know. Uh, so so durable goods have come down, too. So used car prices have come down. But now they have turned around. You know, they're going back up. And new vehicle prices are uh, now starting to tick down. So we've got that movement. Um, electronics are traditionally going down in price. I mean, that's just what electronics do. And, and so that's on the good side, uh, the core good side. Um, in terms of services, uh, yeah, the, the Fed has started to divide them between services without housing and housing. So you know, this housing is part of services. And so they've taken that out and they have decided uh, late last year that housing prices that so housing in terms of rents, so that's, you know, one third of CPI is rent factors and, and that these rent factors are coming down and that did come down late last year and early into this year to some extent uh, on the asking rent side of the equation, but they never came down in CPI and they never, they never even slowed down. I mean, they had, had a new uh, uh, um, 
you know, record increase, multi-decade record increase last month. And, and uh, so that's in CPI. And uh, landlords, biggest landlords in the country have been telling us the same thing as of April. They're getting between 6% to 8% rent increases. Um, you know, these are the actual rents that they're getting so on the renewals and on these lease signings. And uh, now we have Cello come out with its uh, April index uh, for, for asking rents. And uh, that has now ticked up by the fastest rate since August last year. So that's the third month in a row of increases. So these are the three elements that, uh, <laughs> that we base our uh, future um, housing inflation on. And, and they now have all turned around, they're all coming up. and and. And it seems like that uh, that this housing factor of CPI is going to continue to rise in the six to eight percent range, and it is not coming down. So that so that's a bad surprise. You know, that's the thing that that we had thought we had licked. The Fed had thought it had licked. You know, they thought that that these these rent factors would come down, and they've come up with all kinds of equations to show that. And uh, they got a little bit uh, quiet about in the last couple of months since I've seen the numbers come up too. And uh, so we'll see how they react to that. The the part that they acknowledged was sticky was the services excluding houses. So that's all other services. Uh, including insurance and repairs and personal services and financial services and all this other stuff. And uh, that has proven to be amazingly sticky throughout. And, uh, you know, some of that has to do with labor, uh, the cost of labor. So a lot of these services are largely dominated by labor costs, uh, such as your haircuts or, or many of these other things, you know, it's essentially labor. And uh, so the Fed has focused on that after having brushed aside the the housing inflation, so the rent inflation. So the rent inflation is coming back into the picture now. So we've got these um, uh, these two factors that are not going down, and they're running at around the same rate that they've been running in the red hot area. And the goods inflation has come down somewhat, and then of course fuel prices, energy prices have plunged and, and food is ticking down. So that's a, that's a picture of inflation in terms of core. You know, it hasn't really changed. It's it's high. It has stayed high. Uh, it looks like it's going to stay high. And, and uh, you know, that's one of the surprises we now have to deal with. And, and, you know, nobody knows where this is going. But, you know, that's the reality we've got right now. Okay. And, and this is sort of why I mentioned in the introduction here, People have lots of opinions and forecasts and where things should happen, but not all the things are playing out according to script. And we just have to look at what is happening right now. And what I hear you saying is inflation is, is surprisingly sticky on the services side. And I, I actually want to give you credit because the, one of the last times you were on this channel, I want to say back in like the fall, you were you were pretty loudly ringing the inflation and services bell at that point in time. And that's certainly proven to be the case. Um, and, uh, you know, as you said, people were sort of bifurcating services into housing and everything else. And the Fed was saying, yeah, everything else looks like it's kind of sticky-ish, but we think housing is going to come down. They're maybe not saying that as loudly now because the data is not heading in that direction right now. So we've got this, this really stubborn, sticky part of CPI here in services. Um, so I guess first off, for the Fed, you know, you have to look at that and say, well, then our job's not done, right? And, you know, the other day, uh, just yesterday, uh, we had um, uh, Bullard from the Fed come out and say, hey, I, I think we need more than one rate hike. We probably need two, right? Um, and uh, Powell has long been saying, hey, you know, uh, rate cuts aren't even on my radar, you know, for this year. Not exactly sure when I'm going to pause, but when I do, my plan is to hold it there through the rest of the year. Um, this certainly seems to say, yeah, he's going to need to do that. And who knows, maybe he'll decide he needs to, you know, hike things up even more a little bit uh, to compensate for the, the stubbornness of this. So do you expect um, this data here on inflation to indeed be a, a propellant of the Fed to continue to be hawkish here, maybe more hawkish, well, certainly more hawkish than the market's expecting, because right now the market's still pricing in rate cuts this year. Yeah. And so uh, the market, well, we're probably talking about the federal funds futures market. Uh, the short-term treasury market is actually pricing in a rate hike. 
Okay. Yes, yeah, so I was talking about the Fed funds future market, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's different ends of it, and and, and it looks like the long term market is is pricing in all kinds of uh, uh, scenarios that that are really not not in in the picture right now. So. Um, yeah, I mean the 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 Fed is also caught, and and if we hadn't had this banking issue, the Fed would have probably uh, comfortably hiked uh, two more times, twenty five basis points, like Pollard said. Uh, now we've got this banking issue, so we've got a few banks that that collapsed. Uh, they collapsed uh, not because credit is bad, credit is good, but because the uh, high higher yields have pushed down the values of the securities that they're holding. And um, even though the securities are pristine securities, you know, the market values have dropped. And, and so uh, these banks have gotten in trouble with that. And there were bank runs and, and you know, banking system is by nature, by definition, fragile to bank runs. And so we've had some of those and that took some of the banks down. And, and so the Fed is sort of caught in that. And uh, I don't think they want to trigger a broader financial crisis. So uh, they're going to have to be they're they're going to be uh, uh, cognizant of that risk, and uh, so you know they may. Yeah, you know, it, it. I think that there is a chance. I mean, they left the door wide open for a rate hike or a pause for either one at the mm -hmm. next meeting. I mean that they purposefully abstained from making any kind of assessment which way they might go. So they might go either up or stay flat at the next meeting. And if they stay flat, they might go up at, an, at a later meeting. And uh, so th these stores are, they just haven't, they have not given any probability of which way they're going to go. Uh, but, you know, there, there are risks involved now with hiking rates further. And the risks are having to do with the financial system. And uh, there are risks involved with hiking risks, with hiking rates not enough, and those risks are associated with inflation. And uh, so this is a very fine line to treat. And, and I, I'm glad I'm not you know, <laughs> on, the, on the FMOC and have to deal with this. Um, you know, I think that a good case can be made that one more rate hike and, and then keep it there and let the economy adjust, let the banks adjust, let the banks deal with their balance sheets. And, uh, you know, we've had this inflation for a while. Um, there, there are lags. And, and you know, I think it, a good argument can be made that it's, it's all right to, to wait, you know, to, write, to, to hike one more uh, 25 basis points. So that would push the top range to the five and a half percent. And, and then just keep it there. And, and then when inflation starts, it's second big wave, which, you know, the last time we had inflation like this, we had three big waves. And with interest rates that were much higher, we're talking about the 1970s, early 1980s. And uh, so if you get this kind of uh, scenario where we have one big wave and then inflation tapers off a little bit, and then we get this next big wave, um, you know, then the Fed can hike some more uh, based on that. But I think a rate cut would just be completely irresponsible right now. I mean, that would just unleash inflation. And uh, and I think the Fed is aware of that. Yeah, sorry, you said a rate cut would be rate irresponsible. Cut. Yeah, it would yeah, be yeah. irresponsible. And, and, you know, to Powell's credit, you know, he has been yeah. trying to dispel every <laughs> every rumor about that. Um, so do you, I'm just curious, asking you to speculate here, uh, you know, one, one party is wrong, either Powell or the Fed fund rate future market right now. Which one do you think is wrong? Sounds like you think maybe the market's going well, to. When you look at the, there's some interesting charts out there um, uh, of the Fed uh, funds futures market predictions of the federal funds rates, and then versus actual. And and you see these kind of funny lines that go off like spaghetti in all the wrong directions. Right. <laughs> because. They consistently, uh, in both directions, uh, get it wrong, and uh, it it uh, it is funny to 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 look at these charts and then to, to take them seriously, you know, because whatever reason they have for betting this way, you know, it it's not how it turns out, <laughs> and in in most cases. Yeah, and that's very much been true this year, right? I mean, there were lots of talks at the beginning of the year of you know, Fed pivot, not that long ago, they were expecting the first rate cut to happen in June, 
you know, yeah. we're, we're almost a week away and that doesn't seem like it's going to be, you know, possible at all here. Um, okay. So, you know, there may be, there may be some sort of market, you know, repricing ahead when the market sort of says, hmm, you know what, like we're, we're, we're not going to get those, you know, several cuts that we've been projecting, we're currently projecting so far for the rest of the year. Um, let, let me ask you a couple of questions around this. Um, so you mentioned in your first answer that the economy was floating on this huge sea of liquidity. And, and, and I have had several discussions on this channel of light where people, uh, you know, experts have been saying, yeah, you know, like, if you, if you think about the stimulus that was shoved into the economy as sort of a pig being shoved into the, the python, it takes time to pass through the snake. We're maybe learning that that pig was substantially bigger than folks really even imagined at the time. And it's just still sloshing around and supporting things. And even though the spigots got turned off over a year ago now, um, you know, there's just still a lot more in there than than folks imagined, right? Um, love to hear, you're kind of nodding as I'm saying that, so love to hear if you agree with that assessment or not. But also I've been hearing sort of cross currents uh, or differences of opinion where there's a lot that's going on right now that that is um, uh, conducive to draining liquidity. You know, we've got QT, we've got these higher interest rates, we've got the tightening bank lending standards, et cetera. Um, but then I'm, I am hearing that liquidity is back on the rise by some other people's measures. And, you know, focusing in on that is, you know, some of the bank rescue, the, the new uh, funding vehicles that were created, China opening up and, and easing on its balance sheet. Um, so do you have a bead right now as to whether liquidity is whatever state it's in, you know, however much there is, is it rising right now or is it ebbing right now? Well, in terms of just the U.S. market, so liquidity in the U.S. markets, I mean, you got Japan still doing QE, you know, and uh, you got on the outside, you know, you got Europe, they've taken a trillion dollars, more than a trillion dollars off the balance sheet the ECB has, you know, so they have drained over a trillion via the, the loans that they've uh, taken back. And and so you've got these kind of things, but just in the United States, uh, uh, just isolated, uh, there, there are really two things going on. One is the liquidity drain through QT and, and, uh, and the other is the sh and so that's kind of long-term liquidity that that they're taking out. But we had a short-term on half a short-term liquidity increase, and then part of that has to do with uh, the government checking account, you know, the the TTA, the uh, Treasury General account at the New York Fed. The the, the government, you know, they're, they're running out of money, so they threw down this account. They used to be half a trillion dollars worth of dollars in it, and uh, that has now entered the economy because the you know, this account is now drained down to just, just a few tens of billions. And and um, so that's short-term liquidity. And as soon as the debt ceiling gets raised, the, the government will uh, replenish its checking account and that liquidity. So they'll have to issue bonds to do that and uh, sell those bonds. And so take investor cash and put that into their savings account. And uh, so that will, so right now we've got that effect. So that's a liquidity increase right now. Uh, until the debt ceiling is raised. Uh, we've had the, the bank bailouts, that's a short-term liquidity. Some of it never went anywhere, like the FDIC money, that's the bulk of it, you know, that, that never went anywhere. But uh, some of the other things uh, did enter uh, the markets and, uh, but it, it's, these are not huge amount. I mean, the big thing is that uh, the Treasury General account, that's half a trillion dollars that was, drained into the economy. I mean, just look at the chart, it just drained out, you know, and it entered, that cash entered the economy. And uh, normally the, the the treasury department uh, would keep that account roughly level by by spending the money and getting new tax receipts in and uh, issuing new bonds uh, to, to just keep it roughly flat. And and they just, they got the tax receipts, but they're not getting the new the new bond issuance. So they're rolling right. over what Because we're have. at the ceiling. They can't. Yeah. At the ceiling, they can't do it anymore. They can't increase their the outstanding bonds. So, uh, I mean, that's a half a trillion dollars that that short-term entered uh, the economy. You know? and, and so I, in that respect, uh, we've, you know, that and then plus some amount from the bank bailouts, the small amount. Uh, so we've had that short-term liquidity injection into the economy and that will come out very quickly. And some of the bank bailout money already has, uh, to a pretty good extent, come out. 
Okay. And let me let me also just try to understand too. Some people say, hey, you know, there's the Inflation Reduction Act and there's the, you know, components of that spending that's being done this year. Is that money entering the economy? Is that available to be spent or or is the fact that the, the Treasury is having to tra- drain the TGA, is, is that the source of all government spending right now? Yeah, so right now, in terms of liquidity, the, the, the government can't really add liquidity to the economy right now. I mean, but before it did, you know, so until a couple of months ago, it did. And so the inflation we're now seeing today is, or in April, is in response to things that happened well before then. And uh, yeah, and so the government deficit spending uh, it's very stimulative to inflation, and that enters the economy directly. The Fed, the Fed's liquidity measures enter the markets, you know, and then eventually the economy. But uh, uh, yeah, the the government spending itself, deficit spending itself, is is very stimulative to inflation in the economy, and it 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 can work pretty quickly. I mean, if you give people, we've seen in the stimulus era, you know, if you give people a bunch of free money and then they go out and spend it, the goods prices spike. <laughs> You know, so that doesn't happen over to your time base, time span. There's no lag. It's just like happens the next month and two months later, you know, you, you see the price spikes. And and, and we had that. And uh, right now, that's sort of the tap sort of turn off. But that will continue um, once the debt ceiling is raised. Yeah. So, OK, so let's assume the debt ceiling is going to get raised, which I think everybody think it will after, you know, some drama. Knock on um, wood. <laughs> Knock on wood, but yeah, you know, it just it's no, no, nobody you know comes out a winner if I mean it's just it's not going to happen. Um, but so debt ceiling gets raised. Um, I've seen estimates that the Treasury General account you know then needs to refill itself to the tune of I think like seven hundred billion dollars. Uh, so it's a lot of money. Um, so that would be a liquidity drain, as you mentioned. Um, but also maybe that does enable some of the deficit spending from the fiscal stimulus programs that were already approved, you know, Inflation Reduction Act, uh, to start flowing again. On a net basis, you know, are, are, are you, do you think liquidity will, will tighten as the year goes on or increase or stay roughly where it is? No, it will tighten. Okay. And then that will I mean, obviously will have an impact from the on both economic growth and market prices, right? I'm sorry? That'll have an impact then on economic growth and market prices, right? Definitely market prices. The economic growth uh, relationship is a little bit more tenuous, uh, but asset prices for sure. And uh, and then uh, the credit issues, you know. So then you have uh, like commercial real estate right now, they, they have to roll over a lot of their debt coming up. And uh, yeah, if liquidity tightens, that gets even more expensive, more difficult to do. So th- yeah, that has some impact on the economy, but it has a much bigger impact on on asset prices, on on prices of of the debt that's involved when it's defaulting, you know, <laughs> and uh, on the prices of the properties and and those kinds of things. So, we'll, I think that it will have bigger impact that way than on on the consumer based economy. Okay, um, I do want to talk more about your thoughts on on impact on markets, but let's let's stay on the economy side for a moment. So. Um, you said maybe it's a little bit more tenuous, but but tightening uh, tightening liquidity isn't a stimulant to the economy. We'll say that. Um, and as we just talked about, you know, rates are now Fed funds rates over five percent, right? And it may be going higher. And QT is going to be continuing. So w- even if we don't get more rate hikes this year, what's your level of concern of just staying at this this level of cost of capital for the economy potentially for the rest of this year you know uh from a, from a something breaks standpoint right i mean can 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 this economy that was so habituated to a zerp world you know for much of the past decade can it can it really sustain at 5% um or you know are we going to are we going to start to see some some big stumbles and die-offs in, in sectors of the economy that are too over leveraged. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the amazing things. And and if you had asked me a year ago, and I think we had some kind of conversation like this a year ago, and and maybe I said 4% inflation was baked in and and the financial markets uh, would have a hard time dealing with it, but the 
with uh, the Fed's reaction to four percent inflation, you know, and and the economy will probably get through it. And and now we've got we had in the meantime we had double the rate of inflation, you know, <laughs> it's actually gotten a lot worse than predicted. And 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 yet the economy uh, and financial markets are down. Yeah, they're down quite a bit. Uh, but yeah, the economy from two thousand one, they 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 are two thousand one. Yeah, they yeah. yeah they. You look at a long term chart, you know, you you see the rallies and the the sell offs, you know. But um, so uh, in terms of the economy, you know, it has continued to surprise me how well it actually is adjusting to these higher interest rates. You know, how well consumers are adjusting to these higher interest rates. And I mean, the housing market has reacted pretty dramatically to it in terms of sales volume. It has just plunged. Um, prices really haven't come down that much. They've come down in many places, but they haven't collapsed by any measure. But the actual economy that goes, so the measures that go into our GDP accounting, which housing doesn't, yeah, but um, uh, so the measures that go into GDP accounting, they they have held up, you know, and that's, that's consumers and that's business spending and uh yeah that's government spending obviously government spending has surged um yeah and and uh 5% or no 5% you know they've just muddled along and and uh consumers i think have gotten used to these these higher inflation rates they're making more money so their income has come up they're spending more money you've got also you know that's something people uh don't often think about or, or really talk about you've got about 20 trillion dollars in uh short-term income products out there so savings products short-term treasury securities uh, money market funds and they they went from essentially paying close to zero percent a year and a half or two years ago to paying over five percent now, and uh, so you figure that out on twenty trillion dollars, you have a five percent interest income, and a lot of people uh, that invest in these products are retirees, and they're spending every time with that interest income, and they're raving about it. I have uh, a lot of these people on my website in the comments, and they're excited <laughs> about it. Yeah, so you have you have the stimulus uh, from the higher interest rates uh, going against the you know, the, the slowdown that is supposed to be affected by higher interest rates. And of course, that stimulus effect from the higher interest rates is a lot smaller uh, than the opposite effect from higher interest rates, but it is there. And uh, it, it, you know, suddenly you've got all these people out there spending this money, they're going to restaurants and they're making $10,000 a year more than they used to. And and they're spending that $10,000 and they're happy to spend it and, and they're excited about it. And uh, so... Yeah, that's in part why consumer spending overall has held up pretty well. And, and uh, uh, you know, can there's I, a can lot I, of- Can I chime in on that just for a sec? So um, I, I hear you. And, and to a certain extent, yes, that is what's happening. Um, you know, yes, wages have gone up. Real wages, though, are still negative, right? right? So they're still losing ground to inflation. Um, and... Uh, uh, you look at consumer debt, right? Where when folks were getting stimulus checks and stuff in the mail, uh, you know, tax breaks, forbearance, all that type of stuff, um, they were spending that money like drunken sailors in a lot of ways. But but also they were paying down debt, which was nice to see. But that those days are over. We've rocketed back to record debt levels. Um, Consumer revolving credit in most cases now has record high interest rates on it. Um, so I, I, I have heard the argument made that, you know, basically people haven't necessarily shifted their purchasing behavior that much yet as a result, but they've shifted the financing of that purchasing behavior and they're just putting it more and more, you know, on, on the credit card and revolving debt. And that that obviously isn't sustainable, you get to a point of saturation at some point. So is it is it really a sign of a, a consumer who's out there excited to spend or a consumer that has to spend because prices are higher and they're just putting it on whatever funding vehicle they can find at this point? So let me talk a little bit about credit card debt here. My favorite thing. US consumers run about $5 trillion a year through their credit cards. So every time they go out and pay for something, they pay with their credit cards because it's an electronic 
payment method, not a borrowing method, but a payment method. So people went on a traveling bench this year. And you know, and they're out there everywhere. I mean, you, anywhere, San Francisco, Europe, anywhere you go, it's just packed. People travel, Americans travel. And uh, so they charged all this on their credit cards because that's how you buy plane tickets. You know, that's how you make hotel reservations. That's how you pay for restaurants. And so anytime there's a travel surge, your, your credit card balances jump because people put use the credit cards to pay for this expense. And then, uh, so the credit card balances are taking at the end of the month. And, and then uh, two weeks later, when the due date comes, most of these people are paying off their credit card balances to zero, never paying the interest. So the, the, we don't, in our data, we don't distinguish between non-interest bearing and interest bearing credit card balances. We don't have that data. What we get to see is the total amount that uh, is now outstanding on credit cards. And a lot of it is not interest bearing. And then some of it is. And uh, uh, so when you look at the total amount of spending, $5 trillion a year on credit cards, and then the credit card balance is about $1 trillion, and, uh, you know, and then you can see two weeks later, a big portion of the new charges get paid off. And the increase is, it's only the increase, you know, that shows increased spending and it may not show increased borrowing. Yeah. So we have this travel surge in the first quarter and the first four months, it continued in April and it's continuing in May. I mean, I've had people go to Yosemite, it's packed, you know, even though it's part of it's close to flooding and all this kind of stuff, you know, I mean, it's just packed there in May. And, uh, uh, yeah, so all that gets charged on credit cards and most of that, almost all of it gets paid off uh, when the bills come due. You know, people, you get paid a percent and a half, a 2% cash back on your credit cards. People love that. You know, they, they don't pay 30% interest on it. They they collect cash. You know, they get one and a half or 2%. And, and so that, when we talk about credit card balances, people need to keep in mind, it's a payment method. It's the primary payment method in the United States for consumers. And it's a very tertiary borrowing method. The biggest borrowing method are home mortgages, you know, and people went out and refinanced uh, their mortgages during the low interest rate era. And they, they're sitting on a hundred cash out refinances, you know, they're sitting a hundred or $20,000 in cash. That's a big borrowing method. And they did that. They don't do it anymore. That's over. And uh, the consumers borrowed to buy cars. So, you know, we see that. And uh, that's gotten very expensive. Now, car prices have gone up and loan uh, rates have gone up. And, and so buying a new car and financing it, suddenly you're looking at you know, a $1,000 payment. And uh, so that's gotten very expensive. And, yeah, you know, there are concerns about that. But in terms of the credit cards, I don't see that. You know, what I see is a, a spending binge by consumers that used their credit cards to go travel. And that's that's been the case this so far this year. It's revenge travel. We have a term for it, revenge travel. Revenge travel. And, yeah. And uh yeah, we still were locked up for so long and people finally want to go to Europe and they want to go everywhere. And 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 so they're 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 doing the spending, and that's what you see on the balance. Yeah, you know, somebody goes to Europe, spends it on the credit card. That spending actually takes place in Europe. The tickets they buy here, but the hotel reservations and, and those kind of things are paid in, in Europe. And, and so that spending actually boosts the European economy, you know, but the credit card balances show up here and then the next month they pay it off. And, and, you know, so it's a very confusing picture of these credit cards and, and I don't see anything alarming in it because we know we have this travel boom and it's going to, it's going to be uh, paid with credit cards and uh, nearly all of it. And then uh, the majority, the vast majority of that gets paid off the following month, but the balances keep showing up because the balance is taking at month end. And, and so uh, the current month spending shows up in those balances and then get paid off. And then the next month spending show up in the next month balances. And so I, I don't think, I don't see that as alarming uh, at this point, you know, the, the default rates for, for credit cards are still near historic lows. The collections are at historic lows. Bankruptcies are at historic lows. So, uh, you know, we we uh, some of these things have come up a tiny little bit, but when you look at a long-term chart, you know they're still very low. And and so I don't see any um, stress overall in the credit card segment. Of course, there are subprime rated uh, consumers that have now been cut off that can that can't buy a car anymore. You know, and there are some people that are over their heads in their credit cards. So on an individual basis, you have some issues, but in terms of the overall economy and consumer demand, I don't see that credit card yet as, as uh, credit card debt, interest bearing debt as being, being an issue. 
Okay. Um, and maybe what, what triggered all this was my comment about credit cards. And, and thanks for clarifying your deep knowledge of what's going on there. Um, to my list of things of concerns, I, I also should have mentioned the savings rates gone down substantially. Where I'm going with all this is, um, let me ask this question. How concerned are you about the state of the consumer right now based upon the data you see? Because what you were saying earlier kind of almost was painting a rosy picture. Maybe you have a rosy picture. I don't know. I just wanted to clarify for folks. How concerned are you, if at all, about the American consumers? But, I mean, right I look this, at the spending that people do in San Francisco, and <laughs> I mean, this place is hopping. San Francisco lost 80,000 people. You know, this place is hopping. <laughs> You know, it, it consumers from all over the place come here and they throw money around uh, like there's no tomorrow. And I'm seeing that, you know, I'm seeing it in the data too. Yeah, so on an inflation adjusted spending, consumer spending has been strong, relatively strong, you know. And uh, so yeah, part of that maybe is because gasoline prices have come down. So people are spending more money on other stuff. Yeah, I don't know where all this stuff comes from. And that's a big question. Where do consumers get this money? Some of it has come from pay raises. Very tight labor market, the biggest pay raises in 40 years. Some of it has come from the monies that were handed out in the pandemic that's sitting on the sidelines still. Some of it's coming from the refinancings of mortgages. Yeah, so you've got all these issues. Now we have the retiree spending, the interest income. Uh, so these things are coming together. And I'm not seeing a consumer weakness in the data right now. I mean, it's surprising. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just every month I look at anything, it's got to come. That, that, that got to slow down. And not slowing down, you know, the consumers, they want to enjoy their life and, and and they're out there spending and traveling and going to restaurants and doing stuff. And, and uh, you know, it's it just every month I look at this data, I think, <laughs> good Lord. I mean, they're, when are these drunken sailors are going to finally get sober? You know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it just hasn't happened yet. All right. Well, this, this goes back to, you know, what I said in the introduction, which is that Everybody looks at the data and has all sorts of projections of where it's going to go and what's for sure going to happen next. Uh, and, and when you have so many people saying so many different things, it's best sometimes just to look at what is, right? And that's what you're doing. You're just saying, hey, look, yeah, you might be wondering when these drunken sailors are going to stop. But right now, they're still spending it at high levels. So um, one thing that could that would have a material impact on the current status quo is what happens with earnings and what happens with employment, right? So if if the tightening or whatever factors, you know, uh, that could continue to, to slow economic growth, contract economic growth, that really starts showing up in lower corporate earnings and therefore companies can afford to hire less people. And we've, we've, we've read a lot about the layoffs this year. I, I know from our brief chat yesterday and scheduling this call, um, you think that the layoff, the current status of layoffs has maybe been oversold. Um, that being said, we've had, at least in tech, we've had more more layoffs this year than we had all last year. So it's not nothing. Um, but if we got to a point where people were losing their jobs or had real, you know, enough people had were losing their jobs or had fear of losing their jobs, that would probably start constricting spending and that could change things real quick. So what's your outlook right now on both earnings and um and employment given the data that you're seeing. Yeah, so the yeah, the layoff announcements we see in the media, they're all global layoff announcements of planned layoffs, you know, and so what's actually happening in the United States may be somewhat different. But the main figure there is to keep in mind, it's not the layoff that really matters in terms of the economy, you know, it's how long it takes for these laid off people to find a new job. And uh, it layoffs per se aren't a problem if these people then within a week or two find a new job or they may already have a job lined up by the time they, they leave, you know. And uh, they're always layoffs when you look at the numbers, you know, every every month they're, they're you know, we've got like 1.8 million discharges and layoffs every month at the at historic low levels. <laughs> That's just how it is. It's a regular turn in the labor force, not just layoffs, but discharges and layoffs all combined. You know, um, that's just normal. That's how you know, people get fired for all kinds of reasons, or they they get laid off because a company specific issue arises and and those kinds of things. And that's when it rises. Uh, and then the newly laid off people or fired people can't find a job. That's when you have unemployment go up. And um, 
and that really hasn't happened yet. You know, the, the, the people that were laid off were absorbed by other companies relatively quickly. And a lot of them already had jobs lined up. And, and before they left, they already yeah, got the next gig. And uh, some of this switch from tech and social media to industrial companies, they've been really trying hard to get tech talent and they were outcompeted by the tech and social media companies. And, uh, you know, the auto industry is, is, you know, is, is transitioning to EV uh, development and production. And so that's high tech stuff that, and they need all that's, kinds that's of software. Yeah. Software, it's hardware engineers, it's all kinds of things, you know, uh, yeah. And, and so, yeah, huge amounts of, of development work needs to be done there. And they've been trying to hire people to do this. And they've Caterpillar, all these other companies, you know, the oil industry, the oil industry is hugely high tech, you know, and, and that's, that's probably uh, the biggest export industry we have in the United States. And, and, you know, so they were outcompeted. And so if, if an, a laid off Google employee uh, has a job offer from one of these other industrial companies, they're they're not going to get two hundred eighty thousand dollars like they got at Google. Maybe they only get one hundred eighty thousand dollars a year. You know, so they have to make that shift. Uh, and I know of people who have done it, and then they get another offer from somebody else from you know Facebook. But like, these companies are laying off, but they're they're also hiring still. You know, it's not like they're they're not hiring. You know. And so, uh, yeah, there's this churn now going on, and maybe the the super highly paid tech and social media jobs are sort of uh, fading out a little bit, and 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 some of the lesser companies can hire some of us. And so, in the overall numbers, that's what we've seen. You know, the laid off employees aren't laid off for very long. You know, they they get new jobs, and uh, and that's what we have right now. And you know, we, we see these layoff announcements and 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 then when you check with the people that got laid off, oh, he's already working over there again, you know, <laughs> and oh, no, change jobs, went over there, you know. And so, yeah, for the for the labor market to loosen up, for the, the number of unemployed to go up, what has to happen is that the companies uh, across the board slow the hiring and uh, they've yeah, this small companies have a huge problem hiring employees. They always have. I mean, it's always tough for for small companies to hire people. They just can't compete, and so they're they're under pressure. And um, you know, I in the data right now, from whatever I look, wherever I look at, and you know, I look at the California Warren filings. Uh, so these are the required filings that companies have to post with uh, the labor department, with the state labor department, and. Uh, we see the layoffs; they're not very big, you know. And and then uh, the, 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 by the time the one filing is filed, you know, a lot of times these employees already got jobs somewhere else, and uh, and so we don't see them as unemployed. And you know, for the labor market to loosen, what will have to happen is that these unemployed people will have a harder time finding a job. That it will take them longer. Instead of two weeks, they'll they're looking for three months, you know. And then the number of unemployed will go up, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see uh, the wage pressures abate and, uh, uh, and, and, but I mean, that's in the future, I'm not seeing that, you know, I, I, I just, you know, I don't see any data on that. All right, and, and the data we are seeing on initial cl on jobless claims, both initial and continuing is picking up, you know, it, it clearly seemed to have bottomed in around September of last year. Uh, it is ticking up. Uh, it's still down much closer to historic lows than it is, you know, anything that's super concerning yet. Um, so the trajectory isn't super positive, but the absolute value is still yeah. pretty low. So you, 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 you're not too worried about that yet, I would guess. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the indicative uh, factor here is the uh, people that are on the continued unemployment rolls. So we see that it takes, what that means, it takes a little, so when that starts ticking up from historic lows, which it did, like you said, when that starts ticking up, it means that it takes a little longer on average for them to find a job. Yeah, and so that's that's a sign that it's still very, <laughs> near historic lows, but it just takes a little longer than it did before. They don't, they're not immediately absorbed. And uh, uh, so, but it's still so low, you know, that, um, I, I, you know, 
it, it's, it hasn't normalized to the good times levels yet. So it, it's, we're still below that. Okay. So let me ask you two questions on the unemployment rate. One is what, what level would it need to rise to, to get your attention as, okay, um, you know, something's changing here. Yeah, so in terms of the initial uh, unemployment filings, I mean, that's that's a good real-time indicator because it comes out weekly and it's very volatile. It goes all over the place. So one week doesn't really matter, but you can really, you can sort of see if there's a flood of people getting laid off. Yeah, And, and generally, uh, so this big change, it's not the, whether it's 220,000 versus 250,000. I mean, that, that kind of fluctuation doesn't really matter. I think what matters is, when it hits 350, 400,000 week after week after week, now you're seeing uh, a, a fairly significant increase in, in layoffs that actually become layoffs where people are actually filing for unemployment insurance. And uh, yeah, that's that kind of hints. So when you get to that 400,000 level, that kind of hints at recessionary uh, layoff levels. And then the other thing is we want to look at the continued unemployment to see how long it takes people to get a new job. And when that starts shooting up, it means that not only people are getting laid off in larger numbers, but also uh, companies are not hiring them as fast as they did before. And so now, now when, when we see these two go up like that, uh, I, I think the labor market would show a definite, it would be a sign that the labor market is weakening enough to where we can see maybe a recessionary environment. And, uh, you know, I, I expected that to happen already. And, and um, you know, when we first started reading about the layoffs last uh, last summer, you know, I mean, I've been watching this and, and uh, it seems like, okay, okay, these people, uh, they, they should be showing up. And, and you know, the 5,000 people that got laid off at Twitter, you know, where are they? Well, they're already working somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, so we, we, we it, it's just... You know, it's been one surprise after another on this, and and part of that has to do with, uh, you know, it, it's tech talent, and there's not a lot of it, and there's a lot of demand for it, and other companies have been shortchanged on that, and and so they're picking up some of these, uh, and you know, it, it at some point, you know, we're gonna get that, but I just don't see it yet. Okay, so this is yet another pot that you've been watching that's just refusing to boil uh, so far at this point in time. Um, I, I do want to say it, it is more than tech at this point, just because I, I follow the layoff trackers a lot. You've been able to see since the beginning of the year, there are more and more industries that are announcing job freezes or layoffs or whatnot, but but your overall point still holds, which is it just it's not at a level that's enough to to impact the overall numbers on unemployment. Um, one, one other unemployment number question for you, which is, Look, you know, as the Fed is looking at the same data that you are, right, and they're seeing stubbornly high services inflation, they're seeing yeah, consumers hanging in there, and they're seeing job markets still doing great, right, <laughs> by these numbers. And so to them, that gives them like a lot of runway to mm -hmm. say, yeah, we can continue to be really hawkish here, right? Like we're, we're, we got to go after inflation. Nothing seems to be catastrophically failing right now, so let's let's continue to be aggressive, right? At what unemployment level would the Fed be? Do you think the Fed would begin to say, "All right, you know, we 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 were kind of trading off our employment mandate for the inflation killing mandate, our price stability mandate, but 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 now we got to bring the two into balance because because we're now getting worried about the unemployment situation." Is that five percent higher? Yeah, I mean, they probably will talk about uh, uh, unemployment rate per se. Yeah, so maybe 5%, maybe, <laughs> yeah, 5% used to be pretty low, historically. Yeah. yeah. And 6% uh, um, used to be okay. You know? And and uh, uh, they'll be talking about uh, the initial unemployment claims. So when they're starting to hit 350, 400,000, 450,000, that range, and uh, they'll be talking about the continued unemployment uh, insurance claims. And when they go over to two and a half million, something like that, um, you know, they, they'll talk about the number of unemployed. Uh, yeah, you know, when that when that rises by a million or two, you know, from the current level, 
Um, so they'll be looking at those kinds of things and, and they'll generally sort of move together. You know, it's not like they contradict each other constantly. I mean, there's some ups and downs, but they sort of tend to move together and, and they're from, yeah, the employment, uh, uh, the, the, the the labor market viewed from from different aspects uh and you know there's some contradiction occasionally but not a lot i mean it generally moves together and so they look at the different data points they'll see the same thing and they say yeah the labor market is loosening we have more people getting laid off it takes them longer to find a new job um they're starting to claim unemployment insurance more and more of them and uh you know now we've got a million of them doing that and more than before and and so at some point they're going to wait for that uh to so if it if it doesn't just suddenly shoot up I and mean, then pandemic where we had 20 million people getting laid off in in a two-week time span you know that was very unique generally it takes month or maybe a year for for the labor market to weaken like that and uh uh, so they have some time and to see how that impacts services inflation and um you know and and uh so i mean i mean that they'll be pretty explicit about that but um you know that's it's not happening so far so <laughs> you know that i mean the labor market is still tight and and everybody's surprised by it and uh <laughs> you know it it uh, uh you know, it may be that these interest rates are just not enough to uh, to really cost the labor market to land. You know, it may just remain tight at these interest rates. And yeah, there, there's churn going on, there's shifts going on, and and uh, some of the job openings, a lot of the job openings disappear, but there's still plenty of them. And uh, yeah, so we may have this kind of scenario where the labor market is is pretty pretty reasonable. You know, people getting laid off, but not too long after that, they find new jobs and and five percent interest rates are getting worked into the scenario. The higher, yeah, you know, people getting paid more, and that's being worked into the scenario. And people spend more, so companies are kind of happy with that. And that's the scenario I see. That's the most probable scenario I see right now. You know, the, the economy, the labor market, everybody's getting used with these to these interest rates and and those churn and their shifts and and there's some new exciting things going on too you know and um yeah that's what it looks like to me all right so uh i'm gonna ask this because you said this is the most probable outlook you have given the read of the data and i'm also uh, again i want to i want to thank you for being just focused on what the data is telling you versus being colored by some sort of narrative or bias let me ask you does that make sense to you like can we have taken an economy that was, you know, used to almost zero interest rates, zero, zero, you know, cost of capital, and just crank the dial up as fast and as hard as we have here, and be able to say, yeah, we can still keep, you know, the same number of people employed, no problem, you know, same number of companies are going to exist, you know, we're all going to pretty much just behave the same way we were behaving before. Yeah, you know, when we when we had the pandemic stimulus wash over the land uh, in 2020, you know, I call it the weirdest economy ever, because it just everything got perverted. Everything I knew about the economy got perverted. And, right. and, and sorry to interrupt, but you and I had had conversations long before about how things were and, already and it, perverted by all the QE and everything, but it got yeah. hyper perverted. Yeah. Yeah. And and it continues. And now it's going a little bit the other way. But you know, you look at all of these elements and, and you just scratch your head. And and uh so that your question was does it make sense to me? No, it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, it stopped making sense a long time ago. And and now some of that is unwinding in ways that don't make sense to me and but yeah that's what we're looking at and and uh it's it's just a really weird economy to have and and you know the only explanation i have is that you know we have all the stimulus and all this fiscal spending and all you know people uh taking cash out of their mortgages and all this stuff is coming together you know and and it's producing these strange results where we've got uh, you know, we've got banks blowing up. <laughs> we've got a really tight labor market. We've got consumer spending. We've got higher pay raises. You know, we've got all these kind of things that shouldn't shouldn't be together in uh, in the at these higher rates. You know, and uh, now it doesn't make sense to me. That's my short answer. 
<laughs> okay, good. Well, hopefully that makes a few people feel like they're just not crazy um, trying to follow the logic of what you're, you know, you're laying out for us is what the the, the numbers are doing. Um, all right. Well, look, um, we are getting near short on time here, so um, I, I want to kind of get go to lightning round on some things. <clears throat> um, so uh, banks, the banking system right now. Um, you live out here, as do I, in the Bay Area. You know, we've seen the fall of Silicon Valley Bank and uh, First Republic Bank, which, you know, we've seen for years as looked to as great, super strong local banks. Um, how concerned are you about the banking system in general and any further fallout from the failures that we've seen? Well, we're going to get more bank failures. I'm pretty sure that we always have bank failures. There were only a few years over the past. 40, you know, well, we haven't had any bank failures. And part two of those years were during the pandemic when everybody was awash with money. Yeah. So bank failures are kind of normal. Uh, we're going to get those. I don't think uh, we're going to get any kind of major collapse of the banking system or any of these things. I think banks are going to struggle uh, making money. I think they're going to have to cut back on dividends and, and share buybacks, those banks that did them. Uh, I think we're going to lose some banks, some medium-sized banks, some smaller banks, um, you know, but overall, I think the, the system will continue to function more or less properly. Okay. Um, all right. So, so we're going to see more failures, but it's going to be relatively orderly. You're, you're, you're not that worried about a, a cascade of failures that kind of gets beyond the authority's control to and, and let me just damage. throw in the one factor during the financial crisis we had a, a completely different issue that we don't have now we may get it but we don't have it now and that at that time the credit was going bad so the loans were going bad and people were defaulting on the mortgages yeah now we have pristine assets so treasury securities and government backed mortgage-backed securities losing uh, market value due to higher interest rates, but if you hold them to maturity, you're going to get face value. You're going to get so, par. Yeah, yeah. So now we have a problem on that on 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 a different level that triggered deposit runs, and uh, so this is very different than the financial crisis, and and it has a similar effect, but it's at different causes. And so, it, looking back into history, you know, we get the asset price deterioration due to higher interest rates, and we get the deposit runs generally followed by credit problems. That's the second wave. <laughs> you know, so that's when you get the defaults in commercial real estate and residential mortgages and auto loans, all kind of stuff. You know, that's the second wave. We're, we don't see any sign of that yet. But if we get the second wave, that happened before. So during the SNL crisis in the 1980s, you know, we had the same kind of scenario. And then then the credit started going sour on a housing bust and an oil and gas bust. You know? And uh, so, yeah. Looking at the data right now, that's what we've we've got this wave one, and it's it's not catastrophic. You know, it's it's it has to do with with asset prices due to interest rates. Uh, that's not per se a huge issue. The huge issue would be a deterioration, a significant deterioration in in, in the credit. Yeah, you know? and um, so th that's right, the thing that I'm looking out to for. Okay. You know, I mean, we get that. Yeah. Okay, but but I mean, you can look out and see the huge exposure that the smaller banks have to the commercial real estate market and how crappy that market is right now. I mean, and you, I know you follow the auto market and delinquencies are rising there. I mean, how worried are you about that wave too? It, it, I've talked to some people that say that, that's a big coming, you know, big incoming uh, injury to the banking yeah. system. So. The banking system has changed a lot in the sense that a lot of these loans were sold off to investors. So mortgage-backed securities are now, majority of them are guaranteed by the taxpayer and they're held by investors. They're, so these, more, these mortgages are off the books of the banks. And banks hold some mortgages. Uh, a lot of times they're focused on good mortgages, and uh, but they hold some, you know, but the majority are, are with investors. Uh, commercial mortgage-backed securities, you know, uh, Mortgage REITs, um, private equity firms, uh, they're holding all of the uh, commercial real estate debt, the big ones, 
that have blown up so far that I've looked at. All the office tower debts that that have blown up so far, the apartment buildings, those kind of things, you know, they're not with banks, they're with investors. And, would you uh, would you add pension funds to that list? Yeah, the, the pension funds, secure, uh, uh, life insurers, uh, private equity firms. I mean, the whole the whole batch. Yeah, every everybody but banks and um, bond funds to pick into that. You know, I mean, the stuff that people have in the portfolio, and uh, uh, so that's what a lot of the risk was. Not the banking system. Yeah, the worst uh, loans were securitized and sold off. You know, that's what we've seen so far. The stuff that's blown up was sold off by banks uh, to. It was securitized, you know, and sold off to investors. And um, so there will be a lot of pain, yeah, but it's equity holders and it's it's uh, debt holders in the private, in, in among investors, you know, that's where the, the pain has hit so far, not, not the banks. And I mean, I'm expecting the banks to eventually get hit by that, but what we haven't seen that yet, you know, it has hit investors. And yeah, so the, the the banking system is in a different situation. I mean, it's got this problem of the runs and the asset prices, you know, and that's a significant issue and it's a big problem. And, and if the Fed drives up interest rates higher, it's going to be a much bigger problem, you know, but the the credit part really, and, and we're talking about investors in the markets, you know, that's where that will hit. It won't hit the banks. It will hit the investors, the biggest part. And uh, uh, yeah, so that's that's where that's shifting to, I think. All right. Boy, I so want to tug at that thread more with you, but I, I, we're going to have to leave it for next okay. time. I've got one last sort of topical question for you, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, you, uh, I think I did a pretty good job of um, not diving into housing in depth with you in, in this interview. And you had asked me to, to try to not do that because you've done a lot of interviews recently about that. And of course, you write about it all the time at your excellent website, wolfstreet.com. Um, but I would be remiss if I just didn't ask as we wrap up here, is there anything about the state of the housing market that you want to make our viewers aware of as we conclude this conversation? Well, it's spring selling season. And even during the housing bust, uh, prices rose uh, during spring selling season. So uh, don't don't be sidetracked by that. Uh, yeah, mortgage rates are right around 7% now, and that hasn't changed. Yeah, so we're back up to where we were in November. And um, uh, yeah, I think housing is going to be, yeah, last time it took five years to play out. You know, people are used to cryptos changing price overnight. You know, housing doesn't doesn't do that. Uh, I think this is, uh, this is a situation where, you know, we have to count in years, not in days and weeks and months. Okay, for for folks that maybe haven't been following you super closely, when you talk about it taking years, you're talking about a price correction, correct? Right, right, right. And housing is very slow moving. So just because it didn't go down last month, or just because it went up last month, or did something last month, you know, doesn't mean that that's the long term trend, you know. And and um, yeah, so it just it just takes forever in housing, and we're not used to it. And we that's why housing. Uh, it makes so much sense when you look back at many years, but when you are in it and you try to look forward, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense because it's just so slow moving. Okay. Uh, and last question on this part, but just to help people take away, to, to put housing into context with everything else we talked about. If you measure the correction that you anticipate is in process now from 2021 highs or whatever, or May 2022 highs, whenever most of these markets hit their all-time high, by the time it's over, would you would you categorize the expected correction as mild, moderate, or severe? Do you think it'll be? Oh gosh, um, I was trying to be kind by not asking you for a percentage. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it's going to be more than mild. You know, um, there's another thing pulling in here. We've got uh, bigger inflation than we had before. So if that exists long enough. You know, it it will it will slow down the 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 price decline, and um, but it could be moderate to severe. I think. Okay. All right. Thanks. All right. Well, look. Um, and wrapping up, uh, last question for you, Wolf, which is for folks that have really enjoyed this conversation. Maybe some it was their first time listening to you in depth. Where can folks go to learn more about you and your work? Wolfstreet.com. So it's free. There's no paywall. Nothing to sign up. All about business, finance, and money. 
and uh, we have a, a vibrant, well-behaved, reasonably well-behaved, sort of reasonably well-behaved comment <laughs> section, and um, lots of good information in the comments too. So WolfStreet.com. All right, great. Uh, well, look, as we wrap up here, I just want to remind folks, uh, as I do every week, um, <clears throat> there's a lot going on right now that Wolf has done a great job of dissecting us uh, for us here. Uh, it can be really hard for the average person to figure out how to navigate through this environment in terms of protecting and growing their, their financial wealth. Um, it's why we highly recommend you work under the guidance of a professional financial advisor um, who can be your navigator through this process. My one recommendation, strong recommendation, is that you work with one that takes into account the macro issues that, that Wolf and I have talked about here. If you have a good one who's doing that for you, they're building a customized portfolio plan for you and executing it for you, great. You should stick with them. But if you don't, or if you'd like a second opinion from one who does, feel free to schedule a free consultation with the financial advisors endorsed by Wealthion. Just go to Wealthion.com, fill out the short form there, it only takes you a couple of seconds. And these uh, consultations, totally free, don't cost you anything. There's no commitment to work with these advisors. Uh, they just do this as a public service to help as many people as possible position prudently for what may lie ahead. Um, Wolf, this has been great. I really hope you can come back on the program again soon. Folks, if you'd like to see that and thank Wolf for his appearance here, please do us a favor, support this channel by liking this video and then clicking on the red subscribe button below as well as that little bell icon right next to it. Wolf Buddy, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on again today. Thank you, Adam. All right, everybody else, thanks so much for watching.